Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat from the Norton Hornets. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Four Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bowl, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads, you could say. It's just it's, they're just there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. Yeah. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars, joining us to discuss what have been a lot of topics of the week, the voice of V8 Supercars, Chad Nalen. Good evening, Chad. Hi, Craig. How are you doing? It's, uh, it's certainly been a very big week in V8 land and uh, certainly lots to discuss. Yeah, it certainly is. And to do that with us also is Peter Norton. Good evening, Peter. Hi there, Craig. Hi there, Chad. It's, uh, it's, isn't it funny? On Saturday, everyone was thinking, oh, it's all a little bit routine and uh, the world changed <laughs> overnight. Very true. It did indeed, and we'll uh, hear about the Penske merger in our feature interview where we've put a package together from the press conference. But certainly in the news, the Australian Financial Review had an amazing story uh, about James Warburton, Warburton flagging huge changes to the V8 supercar structure, and it's going to be very interesting to see how all those things play out. Hopefully we'll get a bit of time to talk about that today. But, Chad, the story of the week, probably the story of the year, on V8X, on Speed Cafe, V8 supercars, even NBC Sport was that Penske, Dick Johnson Racing and Marcus Ambrose are all joining together to uh, form a, well, very interesting partnership Oh, isn't it great? And I mean, it's just fantastic news for a number of reasons. One, for the fact that we get to see, I think probably the biggest thing out of it is the fact that we get to see someone of um, Penske's fame coming into Australia. I mean, 15 times, I think it is, Indianapolis 500 winner, plus all the NASCAR wins and a championship with Keselowski, plus what they've achieved in sports car racing, even, you know, dabbled in Formula One back in his day, Penske. So I think uh, that's a huge tick for the series to be able to bring someone like Penske across. And I know that's probably more to do with the fact that Penske himself has certain business ventures within Australia that he's looking to uh, make sure that they go well. And he's always aligned his businesses with racing, which is lucky for us as fans, I guess, that he's been doing that sort of stuff. So great for the sport that he's here. Uh, Great for DJR that they're going to have that kind of security for the future, albeit, you know, a 49% share instead of the the, the main stakehold, but it, it, it just means that, you know, the oldest team in the series is going to be around for a number of years now, no matter what, so that's going to probably help DJ sleep a bit easier at night, one way or another, um, and then you've got the market factor, uh, and that's probably the biggest thing that the Australian public and the punters have probably been pumped about, it's not so much the fact that Penty's coming, it's more the fact that Ambrose is coming back, and when you read the forums and you have a look on Facebook and see what the comments are about, everyone seems to think that Ambrose is going to be the saving grace that could take it to Winker. Uh, that's going to be difficult. I mean, the sport's moved a long, long way since he left a good decade ago, but we know he's talented, and we know that in you know enough time, they'll be definitely quick. Mm, well, we're going to talk about that for sure. Peter Norton, Bathurst, it's holding no fears for lethal after that uh, horrendous crash at Sandown. Yes, I think everyone that saw the uh, Mercedes slam into the wall uh, on the approach to Dandenong Corner, uh, they held their breath for a couple of moments to make sure that... Uh, uh, that Lee was going to be okay, and thank goodness he was. Uh, it's one of the biggest hits we've seen in, a, in quite a long time. And, uh, well, it looked like it uh, clobbered that tyre wall with the driver's side, so it was a, a 
fairly solid side impact uh, and uh, you know, Leaf's come out of it uh, you know, shaken, not stirred and uh, he's still pretty boyish for Bathurst. He's not going to let any of that uh, uh, slow him down at all. Mm, and importantly, Nissan have announced that they've extended their commitment to V8 supercars up until the end of the season before the new new generation car is released. Yeah, this one's quite important because Nissan obviously have not enjoyed the success that they would have liked on the track. Uh, and uh, it's only recently that uh, there was confirmation that uh, Norton, uh, sponsors of two of those cars, uh, were not going to renew their deal at the end of this season. So uh, some people could have concluded that it's looking pretty gloomy for Nissan. Uh, so it was quite a, uh, a, quite a good uh, announcement for them to be able to make that... Uh, Nissan's uh, deal, which was due to end at the end of next season, has been extended for 12 months. So really those negotiations have happened perhaps early, uh, just so they could lock in some good news. And uh, you know, it's all part of the, uh, the future of the sport, having the multiple manufacturers involved, and that was, uh, I think, uh, desperately needed good news on that front. Mm. Well, uh, we'll definitely speak more about all the goings-on in V8 Supercars, but first to our feature interview, of course, which is the highlights of the Dick Johnson Team Penske media conference held, held on Tuesday. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Tune in each weekday morning for a fast-paced look at V8 Supercars with Supercars Today. It's a short, sharp look at what's happening across the V8 Supercars world. The only, the only things Ross is ever critical on are things that A, going to make the car go faster or B, going to make the race team look better. So he's um, he's, he's honestly taken on board the, the team and, and almost, you know, it's, it's great to see how much actually he's passionate. It's supercars Today, each weekday morning at sportradio.com.au or sign up for the podcast on iTunes. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard from Lockwood Racing, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Dale Wood from Team Advam GB Gal, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Roger Penske, Dick Johnson, Tim Sendrick and Marcus Ambrose spoke about the DJR Team Penske, which was announced this week. Roger Penske explained why it makes sense to do this V8 supercar partnership. When I step back uh, away from this opportunity, I really look at our business uh, that we've now developing in Australia. You know, we had the opportunity to race in the Gold Coast uh, for a number of years with IndyCars. I had the opportunity to watch uh, the V8 Supercar Series. I know a number of the drivers and obviously have followed the series uh, for a number of years. Uh, when I looked at, at our business, and uh, racing has been a common thread through our businesses for many years, and I saw that the V8 Supercar would connect with our customer base uh, throughout Australia, and there was no question that, uh, you know, with our interest in, in racing, as we know, our NASCAR heritage here, IndyCar, that a chance to go to Australia and take uh, some of our people and opportunity there would be something that we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't want to turn down. Obviously, when we looked at uh, the landscape, uh, coming down there by ourselves and trying to develop a team, we really said that wasn't an option. And so we took the last uh, four uh, with another organization 
And I found out very quickly that Dick Johnson Racing uh, had such a great reputation. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to uh, his shop, meet Dick, and meet the key people there, and it was obvious that uh, we could have a good fit because, you know, we need a partner. We've partnered in many businesses uh, here in the United States and internationally, and the chance to uh, partner with someone who had assets, uh, who had the wrecks, and had the ability for us to be able to join together and go, go in 2015 was the first step. Obviously, uh, with all the drivers in most cases uh, under contracts, uh, that made it difficult for us to make a decision on just where we might go from a driver's standpoint. And having known Marcus and from time to time uh, talked to him about uh, Australia, he said to us, at uh, some time I'm thinking about going back to Australia with my family. If you ever want to run down there, let me know. So I took the opportunity to call him up on the phone and Tim uh, met with him and he said, look, there's an opportunity, uh, we, I'd like to be part of it. So this has taken time over the last several months to get to this point. And quite honestly, we didn't really want to go forward until we finished the IndyCar season and looked at the, uh, just the next nine races in NASCAR. But it's a business reason. We love racing. We love Australia. And I think uh, the combination of Johnson and certainly Marcus Ambrose to set the stage and the foundation for us will be a real opportunity. Roger Penske spoke about what almost cost the deal from going ahead. You know, this didn't happen overnight, as you're sure. There's been some starts and stops. You know, we thought earlier on that uh, we were going to be able to just get a car and take a look at it. Uh, the league told us we could have that, and then quickly uh, was told after that that, uh, that we couldn't have a car and bring it to the States, which was disappointing. In fact, at one point, uh, we decided not to... Uh, you know, not to compete, but uh, in the end, I think uh, with Marcus coming on board, uh, you know, we decided to push the green button and keep going, but this has kind of evolved here, you know, over the last uh, several weeks here. This isn't something that we had uh, for sure, you know, six months ago. Dick Johnson spoke about how the deal developed. Well, actually, the uh, the first contact was made uh, near on 12 months ago uh, when uh, when. Tim came out to Australia and certainly uh, had a look around at uh, the Homebush facility, etc. And uh, we've been in uh, in conversation ever since, uh, working out the finer details. But it was never ever really going to realistically uh, come to play until such time as uh, uh, 2015, at the beginning of a new season. And uh, to have Marcus as part of our team, I've known Marcus for quite some time. Uh, he was uh, one of the few. Uh, guys to win back-to-back uh, championships for Ford and uh, to have, uh, as I said, to have Marcus as part of our team is, is a real bonus and certainly uh, with, with Roger and the Penske organisation, uh, what they can bring to our team uh, will be second to none, I can assure you. It's one of those situations that uh, anyone who ever had this sort of opportunity would never ever give it up. Marcus Ambrose spoke about racing the number 17 for Dick Johnson and Roger Penske. Incredible opportunity, and it's going to be a great personal challenge for me. But uh, the point I want to get across is also an honour. Uh, it's an honour to be able to bring to Australian racing, be part of bringing uh, Team Penske to Australian racing. It's going to be great for Australian motorsport. Uh, to drive the 17 for Dick Johnson Racing is also an incredible opportunity for me and a privilege. I've watched Dick race as a kid. I've raced against his team, and now I get to drive with him. So uh, the combination of DJR Team Penske is an opportunity that is. Uh, you know, an, an incredible one for me personally. It's, uh, it was a, a no-brainer for me to come 
with the conversations I've had with Roger to uh, you know to take this opportunity and really run with it. I can't wait to get home and get started. It uh, it will be a challenge for me personally. There's no doubt about that. It's been nearly 10 years since I've driven a V8 supercar. Um, I don't take that challenge lightly. I know it's going to be uh, take me some time to get integrated back into the series uh, with the way they like to race, with the rules uh, they have in place, and also the technical aspect of these cars. But I know what I've done in the past, and uh, and I know what I'm capable of. And uh, it's not like I've been sitting around a beach. I've been racing uh, 36 NASCAR Sprint Cup races every season, so. I've had plenty of racing miles under my belt. I'm looking forward to the change, looking forward to bringing my family back to Australia and uh, just can't wait to get started. Tim Sendrick said that his week looking at Dick Johnson's operation in Queensland was a key component of Penske's decision to go with Dick Johnson. Spent uh, the better part of a week there just, just getting to know the, the people and, and getting to understand the infrastructure and and what what had occurred to me was um, when I'd first taken my position with with Roger within the Penske organization at the end of 1999, it was a team that hadn't won a race in two and a half years. And it, it was it was something that I felt very confident that, that we could turn around uh, quite quickly because I, I knew that the people there had been through the hard times. They'd been through the times in which they'd had some successes together and they'd obviously had talent, um, but they hadn't had recent success. So. A lot of the employees that were there just for the success and, and weren't willing to, to be there for the hard times had already been gone by, the I guess, the time that I arrived. And I, I felt like that same atmosphere existed within DJR when I was there, is that uh, the people that were there were the, the core of the group, and the, the core group was, was still you know very strong. It, it just needed enhancement, and it, it needed further resource, whether it's monetarily or, more importantly, um, you know, through management or, or through other people. For Sindrick, he outlined how the new management structure would be placed. You know, Ryan Story, he's, he's somebody that uh, you know, is, is probably very underspoken, um, but he's somebody that, that we feel very confident in being the managing director of this, this new partnership that we have going forward. And uh, you know, we feel like he's, he's the guy to, to lead this, um, as he is DJR now, and the sacrifices that, that he's made along with Steve. Uh, Brabeck and uh, you know the group that he and Dick have. Uh, I think we have a very good relationship there, and we feel like we can augment that with with some influence, you know, from the U.S. But but I feel like it, it doesn't. This isn't a matter of, of Penske taking over uh, the DJR organization as far as personnel. Um, you know, we need to integrate, and that integration really is is simply going to be in the form of a, a team manager that that we've had uh, that it, has helped start up our our uh, Porsche RS Spider program, you know, back in 2005 and started up our, our very successful nationwide program. Uh, Jeff Swartout is his name, and, and uh, he'll be the team manager, and he'll work closely with Ryan in terms of managing the organization as we get started. Um, his wife is actually from New Zealand, so he, he has, um, you know, quite a few relatives actually in Australia now. And um, a fellow by the name of Nick Hughes, who uh, actually his first first position with us um, as Penske out of college, he worked for Penske Shocks, and then he, he moved into the, the NASCAR world with, with Ray Evernhammer, and then uh, went to work as technical director with Michael Waltrip Racing, so he understands the, the NASCAR landscape. He's an Australian. Uh, he's most recently worked for PWR Radiators as their technical director, and um, he's going to come on board as the technical director for our organization and help, again, enhance the, the guys that exist there from a technical perspective. Roger said, the common thread throughout our businesses is the motorsport, 
and we needed someone there that knew the landscape to uh, to tie these things together. And I think you're, you're most most of you are familiar with a fellow by name John Crennan. And uh, John Crennan most recently was was a managing director there at Nissan Motorsport and uh, was the co-founder of HRT. Uh, he's going to come on board to help us leverage our, our association with the Penske's commercial vehicles and our racing program. So, you know, as, as far as you know, how, how we work our racing side uh, and that organization and our, our competition and business, that's kind of a maybe a long-winded overview. We'll have more from this press conference in Supercars Today coming up on Thursday and Friday. After the break, we return with Chad Nalen and Peter Norton. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back, and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from Erebus Motorsport, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Chad Nayland, Peter Norton joining me, Craig Raffelland. Uh, Peter, you, you used to wear 17 on your, uh, on your photographer's vest in V8 Supercars, so obviously you've got a, a bit of affiliation with Dick Johnson Racing. What does it mean for a, a loyal Ford man as yourself? I remember going to my first uh, Australian touring car race. Uh, I think it was well, it was very early 1980s. Dick was in the uh, the True Blue Falcon uh, racing at Surfers Paradise, and uh, been a loyal follower of Number 17 ever since. Uh, so, yeah, this is important, isn't it? That, uh, that Dick Johnson as a team, uh, which has struggled in recent years uh, financially, uh, and the on-track results haven't been what they wanted. Um, this gives them a, a, a next generation to look forward to and keep the legacy alive. Uh, so, yeah, very important on multiple fronts. Um, so, yeah, Dick Johnson continues. Marcus Ambrose has come out saying, Bathurst, unfinished business. He wants to win there. Uh, and as we uh, covered earlier, uh, the, the, the might of uh, the Penske Corporation coming into V8 supercars, which I think is desperately needed to uh, take the battle up to Triple Eight. Um, it's just the, the, the meeting, uh, the alignment of the stars in many ways. Uh, it's what the sport really needed. I was interested, Chad, to hear Penske say that they were promised to be able to take a car over to the United States. Viet Supercars then changed their mind and said no. And at that point, Penske was saying, well, we're not going to bother doing anything with Viet Supercars. <laughs> uh, that's worrisome. Um, I don't really know, to be honest, what the backstory is behind any of that, Craig. Um, and you can imagine, I mean... Uh, V8 and James Warburton and everybody were, were very particular in making sure that they were saying that they're keeping the lines of communication open to Penske and Tim Sindrick, that they're doing everything that they could to make sure that uh, they're going to welcome them into the sport. So I don't really know what the deal is there. I mean, there could be a number of factors that have gone into to seeing that fall over. But the, it looks like, hopefully, <laughs> that Penske is still gung-ho about going ahead with everything that he's got planned. Yep, it is indeed. Now, 
you talked about Marcus Ambrose unfinished business there and also about taking it to Jamie Winkup Chad but he was very realistic he's gone I you know I don't know what these new cars are like I'm hoping to have the remaining two Dick Johnson test days at the end of the year it looks like Dick's going to just run the races now and and really set up for the end of the year when Marcus is available yeah, I mean, this is going to be a really difficult thing for Marcus to do, to readapt to these cars. It's probably the braking that'll catch him out the most, trying to stop a big, heavy NASCAR without much braking at all. At a place like Watkins Glen, there's a completely different kettle of fish to trying to stop something at the end of Conrod. which has huge brakes and doesn't weigh as much, so there'll be a time when he needs to just kind of get in there and adapt to that speed once again and adapt to the way that everything works in the series. And, I mean, let's be honest, the fact that the, he'll be in a Ford... Um, I mean, they haven't been too dominant so far this year. No pole positions, only a handful of race wins. Yes, we've got Mark Winterbottom up inside the top three, but the rest of the Fords, apart from maybe Chaz at times, have uh, gone missing. So uh, the DJR makeup of things as well, I mean, they're going to be using the current... Well, that's what they said today. They're going to be using the current cars that they've got pushing forward to next year, whether or not FPR are going to start developing the new model of Ford. And uh, Ford's involvement in all of this seems quite strange, isn't it? Because... This might actually really help a few different Ford teams within, well, there's only two, within the game, and, and particularly FPR, because they're waiting to get the confirmation from Ford as to whether, whether or not they're going to get the manufacturer backing in Australia and how long that's going to go for. Having someone like Penske involved in the sport, seeing as it's Ford in the US that actually signs off on those deals in Australia, could actually really help uh, other teams like FPR in the long run after the Falcons gone and whatever they decide to do in the future, whether it's Mustangs or whatever. So... I think um, while Ambrose, the first part of that question, Ambrose is probably going to take a little bit of time to come to speed, and he said they're more focused on 2016 than they are 2015. I think probably the uh, the big thing to watch is what will this mean for Ford, one of their favourite sons coming back into the country, and a guy like Penske has a great affiliation with Ford. What will that mean for the rest of the teams running Ford uh, into the future? And that's one of, that's probably going to be the real interesting point out of this in the next couple of years. And Peter, uh, Roger Penske, Tim Sindrick was quite... Uh, quite at pains to point out they're not, they haven't asked for any Ford Australia money and they've only committed to Fords for 2015. It creates a, a fascinating dynamic with uh, uh, Ford Performance Racing and the Ford Australian factory. Um, all sorts of scenarios could uh, unwind here. Um, you could picture that the uh, Dick Johnson Racing Penske team will be, could steal away from FPR the Ford support. But then you've got to think about, well, they still want to have a technical alliance, uh, you know, particularly during next year, because uh, you know, the Dick Johnson Racing using the FPR cars. Um, you know, who will take over the running of the, the lead developer of cars into the future? Uh, so yeah, where the Ford money lands will be an interesting card to, to see in play over the, over the coming months. And uh, you know, in some respects, the, coming back to that point you made a little bit earlier, Craig, about taking uh, one of the uh, the cars over to the US so they can do, I guess, wind tunnel testing and shaker rigs and all of that sort of technology that you can throw at a car's development without having test days, uh, that has the potential of creating, I guess, a, an arms race in Australian V8 supercars where you end up with just a couple of superpowers that can afford to do that kind of thing and the smaller independent teams will be, you know, become two seconds off the pace because they just can't keep up. So I can understand some of the rationale behind V8 supercars saying, uh, no, we'd rather that the chassis all stay here, thank you very much. 
Um, but what's good about it is that uh, Penske has gotten involved regardless of that little setback. Yeah, but it was interesting to hear that he said they were prepared to call off the deal at that point. So it, it was high stakes and uh, it's come off now. Hey, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett from HHA Racing. You are listening to Inside V8 Supercars. Tune in each weekday morning for a fast-paced look at V8 Supercars with Supercars Today. It's a short, sharp look at what's happening across the V8 Supercars world. The only, the only things Ross is ever critical on are things that are going to make the car go faster or be going to make the race team look better. So he's um he's, he's honestly taken on board the, the team and, and almost, you know it's, it's great to see how much actually he's passionate. In Supercars Today, each weekday morning at sportradio.com.au or sign up for the podcast on iTunes. Hi, I'm Scott Pye from Wilson Security, Dick Johnson Racing, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Joining me, Craig Ravel, is Peter Norton and Chad Nalen. And, guys, uh, Sandown. We need to leave Dick Johnson, Marcus Ambrose, and uh, Team Kensky for a while, but uh, I, I think Supercars today, their headline was Red Bull 1, but uh, Dick Johnson and Team Penske have stolen the show. But a number of things coming out of, uh, coming out of Sandown. And I have to say, in this day and age where everything is uh, about safety and a duty of care, how can stacking in pit lane stand up just under the basic duty of care safety for the pit lane workers, let alone for the chaos it caused, Chad, on the uh, <laughs> on that safety car period where you know we saw the uh, Volvo being uh, well disadvantaged because of uh, the uh, the walk-and-short performance car not letting him get out of his bay. Mm, and, um, <coughs> pardon me, Craig, I, I was going to say that <coughs> that's probably the one, it's the biggest issue to take out of what happened at Sandown. I don't know if it's because of the, the, you know, how tight it is at Sandown in the garage area around there or what, but nobody really seemed to mind, apart from the guys who were in the cars getting affected by pit lane stacking, this whole stacking issue so much until it's affected an innocent victim. So I don't know how they're going to fight around this. So what happened, obviously, Ollie Gavin was waiting for Tony D'Alberto's pit stop to finish because they share a boom. <clears throat> Alex Premer was trying to leave his pit area driving the Volvo and got stuck waiting. So it's obviously affected another team now. So how do you really rule or adjudicate on this? I mean, uh, we are very limited in the amount of space that we've got. We can't fit every car in at once in a pit stop. So... If you were to say we're going to what we're going to ban stacking from that happening, you'd have to go around and circulate. You're going to go straight to the back of the queue. So there's no easy fix to how you're going to do this. But I don't mind seeing, like, say Garth Tander has to queue behind James Courtney for a for a pit stop. I don't mind seeing that happen, where that's HRT taking a bullet there and saying, okay, well GT is going to be compromised. What I do mind is an innocent victim who's running their own base race from another team getting affected by pit lane stacking. Because that really ruined their day, and that was just totally unfair, to, to be honest. So I, I don't know how you would really rule against that. If it happens in the future, would you say, well, the team that had, like, would you say that, you know, War Control Racing gets a points penalty as a team? There's going to be some kind of penalty or, or something handed down because they've essentially ruined someone else's race. So mm. I don't know how, how you'd adjudicate it or how you go about it, but it's probably uh, worth looking at. Peter, what's your take? Well, V8 Supercars is not the only category that has 
teams sharing a boom. Uh, I think uh, Formula One does it as well. Um, but Formula One has more space on pit lane. Uh, I've, I've never seen the stacking affect other teams because there seems to be more space between each of the booms. And at Sandown, in the middle of the pit lane, there are a number of garages that weren't being used. Um, maybe V8 supercars need to look at the placement of the different teams uh, so that there's an empty garage between the teams uh, to give space for a car to pull up and wait patiently for that uh, pit boom to be, uh, to be free out, out of the line of traffic. Mm. I think some of the other scenarios that we could look at where you can't uh, park in pit lane and, and block someone else's uh, exit from their pit bay, um, I think we've seen in the past, and it may have been somewhere like Phillip Island, where there's a, a long pit lane entry lane um, if you don't want to get, get caught stacking, you do 20 k's an hour on that pit lane entry road and you block up the traffic behind you so that you, uh, you don't get a disadvantage of having to pull over into a little bus stop waiting for the, the, everything to be clear. So it's, it's an awkward thing that we could uh, have a lot of reaction trying to stop the disadvantage, but I think you just create more complexity and other shenanigans. Um, more space on pit lane, I think, is the key. Uh, so that doesn't happen again. Mm, yeah. Craig, I was just thinking there on that subject. Peter probably brings up a good point there. What they need is uh, maybe they just need to go through a McDonald's drive-thru and take some tips. <laughs> maybe they just need like a waiting area. Yes. Maybe that's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, certainly uh, when we've been at Sydney before and had the races at Sydney, uh, at Sydney Street Circuit, there's that area underneath your commentary box which is where there are a lot of volunteers, are care, equipment's kept and that sort of thing. And a lot of the cars in those front pit bays will park in that bay so as not to interfere with anyone. But it's definitely going to become an issue because, as uh, a lot of people said, including Scott McLaughlin, he said, I I wanted him to ram them out of the way. And if you start ramming cars out the way, then you are putting all the guys changing the tyres. Now, that safety car, Peter, was caused by cones on the apex of the corners. Are cones a valid technology to use in 2014? I thought it was a, a promoter's safety car, you know, just on the racetrack, trying to uh, bunch the field. So maybe from an entertainment viewpoint, keep the cones so that we've got an excuse to wave the air. <coughs> Chad? Hey, I completely agree, to be honest. That race needed a safety car uh, at that very moment, and it came at such a good time because it meant that strategy-wise... Um, all the co-drivers had to complete another 26 laps on top of what they were actually planning on doing. So it was the perfect time. It's almost as if they thought, when's the most awkward time we could throw a safety car? And that's exactly when they did it. Hmm. It's, um, it's almost mean, like the co-drivers wanted more laps. So there's a co-driver <laughs> caution. <laughs> Maybe they were trying to dislodge those cones down at turn six just to see that they'd get a few more laps in. But um, I don't really know how you, how you go about serving that one. I mean, at the end of the day, do you even need those cones there on turn six? I mean... That's that's a, a decision for the commission to make, I guess. Mm. Well, of course, uh, Sandown, Lee's crash has headlined uh, certainly everything. The safety of these cars is unbelievable. And, Peter, uh, a lot of... Look, the only criticism left on the new generation car I think anyone can make is the cost. What the team has delivered, Scafie has delivered, is a very successful product. We've got more winners. Even though Jamie Winkup is going to win his sixth championship... More winners, more interesting racing. Cool. <laughs> well, I'm I'm here to make it, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, Peter, it, 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 the cost is the only thing that these cars haven't delivered. 
but it's safe to say that safety-wise, we've seen Courtney's crash now, we've seen this crash, we've seen Scott Pye with a couple of crashes, and these cars are just held up amazingly. Uh, well, it comes back to the old uh, old equation. What, what value for a life? Um, some of the crashes you mentioned there uh, in a car 20 years ago would have been a, a very grim outcome, I suspect. Uh, so, yeah, the, the designers and the, and the manufacturers of these cars uh, can, uh, can uh, sleep fairly well that they've made a real difference. Mm. Right. Red Bull HRT dominance, uh, Peter. Unbelievable. It was just an amazing... One, it was Red Bull amazing the way they went about their business, but HRT coming up there, and now it's HRT Red Bull Daylight. Well, well that's right. The, uh, at the first level of, uh, of results, you'd say that um, you know, Jamie Wincup and Paul Dumbrell uh, won way too easily. You have to scratch beneath the surface really to find the real stories coming out of Sandown, and uh, I think one of the big ones is just how strong HRT was. We have to keep in mind that Garth Tander, uh, he got caught up in some of that stacking. He got disadvantaged uh, in a lot of that strategy, and he was still able to drive through the field and take third position. Uh, so uh, I think a lot of other people need to be rather nervous uh, about the, uh, the strength of those two Holden teams now. What about you, Ted? Yeah, uh, GT actually brought up something quite interesting in the presser after the Sunday race. Um, he was given the question, do you think that it's impossible to beat Jamie Winkup? And he said, uh, to be honest, we really had similar pace to them all day, and that's reasonably true. Um, it was more a matter of track position that really cost them. I mean, Luffy lost a few spots at the start. Like Peter said, they got caught up with some stacking. So had that been the other way around, and it was Winkup finding his way back from fifth after, say, a poor qualifying, say, say Winkup you know, misses the shoot or does a bad job at the shootout in Bathurst and GT gets his, like gets it right and puts it on the front row. Give those guys a bit of track position to work with and that could have been a completely different outcome. So uh, that, that was showing fairly similar pace all day, really, apart from um, uh, apart from the early laps where PD really put his head down and, and charged away. But it's hard to say if that was really Wing Cup just, just pacing the field or whether or not that was, you know, there was anything to do with the fact that um, it was just all track position. But... Uh, I, I thought that maybe we would have seen a bit more racing after that safety car and um, after, you know, JC eventually got through the, the lappers that were having their own battle. I thought we might see him try and chase him down a bit, but I think Wing Cup was probably just holding that gap steady, not really not really overdriving that car any more than, uh, than he needed to. So that's just to be interesting. If we, if we can get one of those two HRT cars at any point in front of car number one, it could be a real good race, but track position is probably going to be the key. Mm. Well, a break and a final thought up next here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two lovers through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to uh, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought, Peter Norton. Um, well, it carries on from what Chad was saying just before the break. Uh, the Wind Cup Dumbrell combination, how strong is it? Seeing Paul Dumbrell come out there at the start of the race and just 
you know, walk away from the field, establish a gap that was quite comfortable, uh, and then just drove to a number. Um, they're doing it easy. That's pretty scary. Mm. Chad Nalen. Um, I think uh, I'll probably bring up the fact that that Holdsworth crash, uh, there's one thing that no one's really looked at, and that's the fact that Erebus actually take their safety to a brand new level with the, what's called the E-cell. They run inside those cars, essentially the, the bathtub that surrounds the driver inside that car. So I wonder if they're going to be uh, quite buoyed with the success now that they seem to lead. I'd hate to look like they're trying to profiteer out of something like that, but all of a sudden the extra safety might, uh, measures that Erebus have been taking with their two cars have really come to the fore right now. So um, that's probably one thing that needs to be looked at. Uh, we, we say that the current generation cars are very safe, and we proved that with a few accidents last year. But this Erebus car actually takes the safety levels to a new level, and that maybe had uh, had a say in Lee getting out of that car. Mm. Well, thanks very much to Chad Nalen and Peter Norton. That's uh, all we have time for this week on the show. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.